With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out. And goes down. And that's eight strikeouts. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. In steps Brandon Lau, and he swings at the first pitch and pummels one to deep center. Going back is Green at the wall, and it's gone. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. And welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We're glad to have you with us. Derek DeBose is back at our network studios, and in this week's show, we'll get together with race third baseman Curtis Mead to discuss the Australian's journey from down under to Tropicana Field. We'll talk with a couple of the Rays minor league award winners in low A Charleston MVP Xavier Isaac and high A Bowling Green MVP Carson Williams. Finally, we'll sit down with Rays Chief Development Officer Melanie Lenz, Rays President Brian Ald and Heinz's Senior Managing Director Michael Harrison in a conversation about the historic gas plant district development in St. Petersburg. And we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with Rays third baseman Curtis Mead. Curtis, thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me, mate. Can you describe your 2023 season in one word? I'll give you a few few seconds to think about it, but it's obviously been a lot, right? A lot of ups and downs and... But here you are, you're back with the big league team. So, one word, what do you think? Uh, I got two one words. Okay. <laughs> Probably the first one is adversity. Um, and the second one, chaotic. And they kind of are similar, I yep. guess. So, yeah. But it has been an interesting year for you. You started the year in AAA Durham, and then you made your major league debut. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, you had a wrist injury as well, which kept you out for a little while. Have you taken time to enjoy this season, though, would be my question. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it was, you know, didn't get off to an awesome start. Then to get injured and just kind of be sitting on a pretty poor month in AAA um, and the hand injury just dragged out longer than anticipated. Um, and then come back and, and kind of hit the ground running and play pretty good pretty quick. Um then, then the debut, which was awesome. Um, then going back and kind of trying to trying to further my game more, um, and then coming back again, it's been it's been awesome. It's been you know, as I said, it's been crazy. But I think at the same time, um, I wouldn't have it any other way. How did you find out that you were going to the big leagues? We know that you made your big league debut on August fourth in Detroit, but we know that the Rays sometimes get pretty creative in how they inform you guys that you're going to the show. Yeah, so it was uh, a Thursday, I think. Yeah, Thursday in Nashville. And we were in Nashville at the time, so uh, Michael Johns calls a meeting. And we don't really ever have meetings. But my first thought was, oh, we're in Nashville. Someone has messed up. You know, there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of trouble in Nashville. Sure. So, um, 
yeah, originally I'm like, oh, God, like, who got in trouble? And then they end up telling me that I was going to the big leagues and, and playing, um, you know, the next day, so it was awesome. Yeah, what was that moment like for you? Was it kind of surreal? Yeah, no, it was really special. Um, you know, feelings of relief, excitement, you know, probably uh, tens, tens of different emotions went through. So. And then you single, not only in your first big league at bat, but on the first pitch that you see at the big league level. You must have thought, wow, this is going to be easy up here. <laughs> yeah, I it kind of hit me really quick because I didn't know I was going in the game. Then I went in the game and played defense. And if I had went in for Paredes, I was going to hit fifth or fourth or something in the lineup. But they ended up putting me in for Wanda and Bruhan in for Paredes. So then I found I was hitting first. And so I'm scrambled to put my stuff on. Before you know it, I'm like, oh, God. And I was just thinking in my head, I'm just going to swing. <laughs> and then I actually didn't totally know where the ball went, but I heard all of our guys in the dugout start cheering. Um, so then it ran to first, and and then it kind of hit me that I was like, oh, God, don't get picked off or do something <laughs> stupid. So, But, yeah, it was awesome. But in typical Curtis Mead fashion, you took it the other way. You took it down the right field line. Obviously, that was an amazing accomplishment, getting a hit in your first big league at bat on the first pitch, but was part of you a little bummed because you knew that your parents were still in the air traveling all the way from Australia to Detroit to see you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, they were actually in LAX and Customs and were able to watch it live, so that, okay. that was cool. Um, but yeah, no, it was uh, the next day was definitely a special one. Having having lots of friends and family in town was awesome. Now Australia is not exactly down the road uh, mm-hmm. from Detroit, Michigan. But how exciting and special was that day? And just to have your family up there because the next day you made your first big league start, and yeah. and arguably that's that's more important. I mean, yeah. big, first big league hit, obviously yeah. amazing, but first big league start that's something different. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, you know, super happy, and I think I was glad that I was able to spend it with them. Um, you know, they've sacrificed so much for me uh, over the years, so, yeah, really cool. So after that, you struggled a little bit, uh-huh. but you were up with the team for a couple of weeks, and then you were sent back down to AAA Durham, but now you're back here in the bigs. What did you learn about your first stint in the major leagues? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. It kind of, the first first at-bat went great, and then probably the next 10 or 15, I think the nerves really kicked in. Um, and I started to put a lot of pressure on myself, uh, tried to do too much. Um, and I, I remember at-bats where I was just shaking. Like, I was so nervous. Because yeah. I think, like, you know, I've kind of moved through the minor leagues, and at every level it's like, oh, cool, like, let's just see what can go down. And then when you get to the big leagues, it's like, this is exactly what you, where you want to be and kind of what you want to be doing. So then it's kind of like, oh, I really want to press and try really hard and make it work. Um, and then to be able to settle in after that a bit for, you know, another week or so and, and start to put together some better at-bats was cool. Um, but then to go back and, you know, kind of find a bit of power and, and some impact and hit some breaking balls a little bit better, it was... Uh, you know, I didn't love going back, but I think coming back this time, it made me feel a lot more comfortable, and I feel like I'm in a better, better place for it. And how do you calm those nerves? I mean, I've never gotten in the box of a big league game, but I imagine, yeah, you, you're talking about you want to press, but you also want to impress, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The the mental skills coach in AAA asked me what I would have done differently to kind of overcome that. and 
And, you know, I used some techniques, like I was trying to really slow down my breathing and, and slow everything down. Um, but at the same time, I feel like you just have to go through it, you know. Like, it kind of, you know, every at-bat I felt a little bit better, a little bit better. Then all of a sudden I start to put together, you know, two or three decent at-bats, and, and then the confidence came back, and, and I was able to settle in a bit more. Let's talk about your origins. You are from Australia. For the listeners who don't know, you can tell by his accent. That he is not from here. He's from the country of Australia. How did you get into baseball? I read something in the media guide about how your grandfather was in Darwin, Australia, which is way up north, Crocodile Central from what I hear, and then a World War II serviceman taught him the game of baseball. Is that how it began in the Mead family? Yeah, it did. It did. So he was a full-blown cricket player, which there are some similarities, but... Uh, he didn't really know the game until then, and then he fell in love with the game and started playing cricket for the summer and baseball in the winter. Um, and then my dad was around it for a long time, and, and his three brothers, they all played. And then, uh, yeah, just introduced me to it through my dad. Um, it's funny, he probably didn't really want me to play baseball initially. I played AFL football, and he, he quite enjoyed and liked the idea of me playing that instead. Um but then I, I just fell in love with the game and, and started working really hard at it and started to see some results. That's cool. I remember when you were in Montgomery just last year and we were doing an interview like this one and you told me, because I was asking about how you started playing baseball, you said, well, I would play it here and there. And then I got to where I was 16 and I thought, you know what? I haven't really tried that much of this sport. Yeah. I could probably be pretty good if I put my – or all my efforts into it, but you were also, as you said, an Aussie Rules football player, Uh which is a bit more aggressive than even the National Football League, right, because there are fewer pads and uh, the hits are a bit, are even harder, I think, sometimes, but uh, was that a hard decision? Because I believe your Aussie Rules football team said you got to choose, right, you got to choose baseball or you got to choose Aussie Rules football. Yeah, no, I... I definitely, I would say up until 15, my heart was definitely with football. Um, enjoyed it. Baseball was kind of just a thing. You know, the talent isn't awesome in Australia because not many people play it. So I was always towards the top end of, of players, but I really didn't try crazy hard. And then I remember I started to put a little bit of effort into it. Then I ended up making an Australian team. And I was like, damn, I'm, I don't really do a whole lot and I'm, I'm in the Australian team so maybe I should give this a go and, and football kind of pressed my hand a little bit to make a decision and uh, yeah I ended up just deciding I was like I, I don't even know what the limit is with this um, you know I was a decent football player but at the same time I felt like I could really the college uh, idea I started to think about that a little bit and enjoy that um, so then I said, I'm just going to go for it, see if I can get into college and, and play over play over in America. <laughs> was that a difficult decision, though, to, to give up Aussie Rules football? Yeah, no, it really was. I mean, that's kind of the sport back home. Like, all, the, all my friends play. Um, you know, everyone talks about it on Monday, how the weekend games went. Um, so, you know, you miss out on those conversations. And I guess, like, no one really knows about baseball. So no one's asking me how I went on the weekend or I couldn't really talk to anyone about it all um so yeah no it was a tough decision it would be like uh maybe an american going to australia and and making one of the top teams in the aussie rules football hey how are things going down there oh they're pretty good like i'm in the top level and that's kind of you in reverse now uh you signed with the philadelphia phillies in may of 2018 
And then you were kind of in their Gulf Coast League comp, which is now the Complex League, for a couple of seasons. What was that like, and how did that happen, you signing with Philadelphia? Yeah, so I went, I actually got to break in the season before, so it would have been November through January to the Australian Baseball League. And I actually lucked out that our team was horrible because they decided to play a 16-year-old who was probably out of his depth. Um, And I actually put together a pretty good 20 games. Um, And I was able to, to, you know, get a ton of confidence. And I started getting uh, some attraction from scouts over here. And initially, I didn't really know what that entitled. And my dad was taking these phone calls. I didn't have an agent or anything like that. So my dad's trying to negotiate. We got no idea what we're in for or how much I should be signing for. Or, um, and then you end up signing and heading over, headed over for I think two weeks in school holidays. So I was a senior in high school. Came over, played two, I think two games, and then I went back and finished my senior year of high school. Um, and then the following year came back for the full, the full. Um, go and you know it was tough early it it really was uh being away from home friends family no car um you know I couldn't speak to my parents because it's nighttime there uh but then I settled in and started to kind of understand that this is where I want to be and you know a bunch of other people would would die to kind of be in the position I'm in so I decided to just make the most of it and see what comes of it and as if that wasn't enough of a whirlwind then you're traded to the Tampa Bay Rays for Christopher Sanchez shortly thereafter. What was that day like? Yeah, you know, it's crazy, and I'd be lying if I said I was pleased. Initially, um, I found out, and I was a bit gutted because I'd finally become comfortable with the Phillies. You know, I knew the coaches, I knew players, so at least going back the next year, I was like, oh, I know a bunch of people, and I can. it won't be as hard to settle in. Um, and then I remember Jeff McLaren uh, called me probably – 10, 15 minutes after, and just, you know, he told me how pleased they were uh, to get me. He loved my work ethic. He loved a few other things about me, and I remember ever since then, um, you know, I really I really settled in, and, you know, that I think that really changed my career, coming coming to Tampa, and, um, yeah, really pleased that that happened now. Yeah. So. Do you ever get a chance to go home to Australia? I know you have a long baseball season, but when was the last time you were home? Uh, I went home actually last last year for two months, so that was cool just to catch up with friends and family. And you know the weather is awesome in the winter; it's summer down there. Uh, so I, I like to go back, um, you know, and see friends and family over Christmas and play golf on my golf course and do a few little things. But you know, I definitely enjoy it over here too. Do you have some favorite things about living in America? Uh yeah, yeah. You know, I I. You know, my heart's probably still with Australia, but I do really enjoy being in America. Um, you know, for one, it's given me this awesome opportunity to play baseball. Um, and I met my girlfriend and her family's here. And, you know, so there's, uh, I definitely enjoy, you know, initially it was definitely probably 90% Australia, 10% America, but it's getting pretty close to 50-50 now. So, you know, I enjoy being in both places. And, you know, I've told myself that this is where I want to be, you know, for the next 10 or 15 years playing baseball. So, yeah. I think the reptiles might be a little scarier down in Australia, though, right? They are. They are. I'm a little bit safer here, which is cool. <laughs> can, can you give us a couple of fun Australian phrases that you use that these guys might not necessarily know about, these guys meaning being your teammates? Uh, they asked me 
what one common question I get is what do we call beers? Yes. And we call them like frosties or frothies or stuff like that. So if you most of the time it's like food and stuff, uh-huh. you know, and, and we shorten words like the service station or the gas station, we call it a servo or um, like a smoking break or a, a break from work as a smoker. So okay. a, few, a few little th- things like that. So, But I don't use them around them a lot because I get a lot of weird looks. Yeah, yeah, so. I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, what do you call a truck? Uh, a ute. A ute? Yeah. Okay. See, there we go. We're still learning here. Last question before I get you out of here, though, Curtis. Do you have goals for the rest of the season? And if not for this season, do you have goals going into next season? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the rest of this season, the goal is to win. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a situation where I'm able to come up and, you know, be, be a part of a pennant chase and that sort of thing. Um, and then probably for next year, just being, being on the opening day roster and kind of getting a full run at it next year. So, yeah. We appreciate you taking the time, Curtis. Best of luck and go get them. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll go to our first break, but when we come back, we'll hear from a couple of the Rays minor league award winners in low A Charleston's MVP, Xavier Isaac, and high A Bowling Green MVP, Carson Williams. Plus, we'll check in with Rays Chief Development Officer, Melanie Lenz, Rays President, Brian Ald, and Heinz's Senior Managing Director, Michael Harrison, in a conversation about the historic gas plant district development in St. Petersburg. That's all coming up on the Rays Baseball Network. All right, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with the Charleston River Dogs' most valuable player, Mr. Xavier Isaac. Xavier, thanks so much for taking the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. So congratulations on an unbelievable 2023 season. How was it for you personally, though? I know this was your first full year in the organization. Yeah, it was a long season. Um, Like you said, it's my first year, but I just felt like you just got to get that routine going. Once after that, it just keeps rolling, and... If you stick to that routine, you should be straight for the whole year. It's a it's it's a long season, so you have to be in the training room, routine, getting that you know everything done. But I loved it; it was fun. And you guys won a championship, so tell us what that was like against the Down East Wood Ducks. It was it was the best, man. Um, being back with my guys and you know seeing them again, and we went from worst to best, man. The first half was not a good you know good first half, but the second half we came out. You know, didn't really, you know, just trusted the process pretty much. And it, it worked out, and we got the, you know, chance to be in playoffs. And it was the most fun I've ever had in minor league baseball right now. So, yeah. I remember monitoring you guys through the first half of the season thinking, oh, man, this is a very un like start. Were you also struggling during that first half? 100%, yeah, 100%. It's, it, it's you know, different coming and seeing 84-85 from, you know, 95-96 every day. But once I got used to it, probably – June, July, I felt, you know, good getting that routine down, seeing, you know, getting my approach right for everything, you know, just trying to learn, you know, more about the baseball game. But I loved it. It was it was the best. And when you're going through struggles like that, especially when it is your first year in the organization, your first round draft choice, I'm sure uh, you feel like you're starting to press a little bit because you want to impress. But how do you get yourself out of a slump like that? It It's... Damn, that's a that's a tough question. Um, it's just you know it's confidence, honestly, and it's, it's really mentally. I think it's a mental game. It's not like you just can't go out there and not hit the ball. It's just a mental. Just like you said, it's a slump. But mentally, if you're down, you're gonna be down. But if you're mentally up, you're you should be fine, confident enough to you know go up there and be like, I can still get a hit off this guy. This guy is it's okay. So, 
And you also got some time at High A Bowling Green. Was there a noticeable difference between the play uh, in between High A and Low A? Um, it, feel, it felt like they challenged me a little bit more. Um, of course, I played a little better there, it felt like, but um, I got challenged a little bit more. And it's, it's, you got to be ready to you know, come up there and you know, be ready to attack that fastball or that slider or whatever. What was it like for you to play first base? Good. It was fun. Love first base. Yeah. It's, the, it's the best, especially when you have good infielders, so it's not that hard. <laughs> and how did you enjoy playing for uh, Sean Smedley there in Charleston? I know that he was with the Montgomery Biscuits in 2022. He was the bench coach, and this was his first managerial job. He did a really good you know, good job his first year. I love uh, Smed. Smed was a really good coach, in my opinion. Um, really laid back. Um, not, you know, t- didn't really take anything really serious. Um, really, really good guy. And, you know, did his part, and we did our part pretty much. So, Was winning MVP at Charleston one of your goals coming into this season? And, uh, I mean, I'm guessing you've got to be pretty delighted that you, you won that award, yeah? Yeah, um, I, it wasn't a goal for me, but it, it, it seems to be, you know, the best. Um, I was there the most of the year, so I really expected, you know, of course, to be the Charleston player of the year. So it worked. Well, Xavier, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it, and congratulations. Thank you. And that was Charleston River Dogs MVP, Xavier Isaac. I also got a chance to sit down with Bowling Green's MVP, Carson Williams. A lot of experience. You know, uh, just getting as much information from everybody that I can. Uh, it was really cool to talk to the AAA guys. They have, uh, they have a different view on this game than I do because they've done it for longer. And everybody has their own way of getting ready for baseball games. And they, they're very clear that everybody does it differently. So you need to find your way. And I really like that, and that's going to stick with me. What was AAA pitching like? I imagine it was a little different than what you saw at high A, yeah? It's, uh, it's actually similar stuff metrically, but it's a lot better pitching. So a lot better spots and a lot better execution. We know you're drafted as a shortstop. What was it like for you to play at all three of those levels? It was awesome. It's great. Uh, Shortstop's my home, so I'm I'm, going to just stay comfortable there, and uh, I loved it. 23 home runs is quite a lot, though, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I had uh, just just working on the bat, you know, working on it. (laughs) And how cool is this day? I mean, we're at Tropicana Field right now, and you're about to get two awards for Minor League Defender of the Year and then Bowling Green MVP. I mean, what does it mean to you to be here? I know you were just a first-round draft choice two years ago. Uh, it means a lot, and it just shows that hard work during the season, grinding, is, is it just gives you that little bit of a payoff and just to keep working on becoming a big leaguer. What was it like playing with Junior Caminero, who is going to win Rays Minor League Player of the Year this year? kid is special and I'm really close with him we talk a lot Um, the language barrier was kind of fun for us to navigate because at first it wasn't great then he came back and his English was a lot better so we got in a lot more we got a lot better conversations and me playing at short and him playing at third for a while we got really close and the kid is special now you ended the season with double a Montgomery and they lost to the Pensacola Blue Wahoos for a second straight year that was a tough defeat however Walk us through that moment leading up to Junior Caminero learning that he was going to the race. Yeah, pretty special moment. Uh, came out of nowhere. Nobody, I mean, I think everybody was kind of expecting that he would go up to AAA or something like that to finish out the year. And when our manager said big leagues, everyone went crazy. 
But then he went in, he told you guys, you know what, I'm proud of you, right? You, we had a good run, and then he went into his office, and then what happened? <laughs> he comes back out and tries to be nonchalant about it. He's like, oh, I forgot about something. And then hits us with that news, and uh, pretty unbelievable. You guys almost automatically forget about the defeat to Pensacola, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody was still a little bit hurt that we were all done with baseball for the year. But at the same time, uh, overwhelming joy for them. What was Double A like? Because I know you were in Triple A before you went there, but Morgan Ensberg, who is the Biscuits manager, he would always refer to that as the men's league. If you can make it in Double A, you can make it. You can probably make it in the big leagues because that is the brand of baseball that you are going to see for the rest of your career. I know you were only in Montgomery for a little bit, but what did you think of it? Ah, uh, it's the same game. It's the same game, and. Uh, you got to go back to the game's a little bit faster. There's more balls put in play. The pitching's better executed. It's it's better baseball, but it's the same game. And then give us your your top three or top two most memorable moments of the season. Oh gosh, uh, I feel like I, I feel like you could just go with both call-ups. Just uh, I mean. The Durham was out of nowhere, so that was really exciting that I got to go there for a week, and then I was really glad I got to finish out the season with Montgomery. Well, Carson Williams, congratulations, and thanks for joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. All right, thanks for having me. And we certainly appreciate the time of Bowling Green Hot Rods MVP, Carson Williams. Coming up, our latest conversations about the historic gas plant district development in St. Petersburg. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Chris Adams Wallback with you on This Week in Rays Baseball. And this past week was a big one for the historic gas plant district development in St. Petersburg. We caught up earlier in the week with Rays Chief Development Officer Melanie Lenz. So first of all, thanks so much for the time. Um, feeling pretty great, actually. It's, it's um, you know, I think for not just uh, me personally, but you know, for the Rays, for the city of St. Petersburg and Tampa Bay overall, this is a really exciting day. Um, you know, putting down our, continuing to put down our roots here for generations to come in this community that we all, you know, love is, is just, it's just pretty exciting overall. What is it that makes this ballpark unique? I mean, there's so, there's so many things that are going to make this ballpark unique. And, you know, we're really at concept design level right now. And so this is kind of the fun stage. We get to spend a lot of time talking with our fans and um, our community stakeholders to really see what they want to, you know, have in this ballpark represent us as a community. But the ballpark, I mean, it's going to have a fixed roof. It's going to have operable walls. And it's going to be a true community asset. So at the end of the day, everyone should feel welcome in this state-of-the-art new venue. And how will this development project impact the community? I mean, this is one of the largest mixed-use development projects, certainly in the history of Tampa Bay, if not beyond. Um, we're able to provide not just a new ballpark, new housing opportunities for all, 
new business opportunities. You know, we're going to pr provide, you know, over, I think the number is 14 acres of new open space and park space. It's really building a small city in an already incredible city. And so I think that, um, you know, this is going to be a place, it's going to be a destination, but not just a destination for visitors, some place that every resident in Tampa Bay will want to come to time and time again. You've been here and you've seen the various plans for a ballpark. Why does this one stand out? I think just because it stands out for so many reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is that this ballpark will be in the heart of an urban center. So this is a ballpark that is already going to be placed in, an, in just a growing and thriving city. And so what we're able to do is reach out the edges of this ballpark into the community in ways that I don't think other venues have had the opportunity to do so. So we got to know, what's your favorite feature? I don't, I mean, I don't know yet. It's so early to tell. We're so early in the design phase. But I think, you know, the concept of this ballpark is it's a pavilion. And it's a community, it's really the heart of a community, a community gathering place, a place with porches and a place, you know, with balconies to, to really represent, you know, the Tampa Bay, the St. Petersburg, the Florida lifestyle. And so I'm most excited to see how this venue will represent the community that we live in. What type of experience will current fans and new fans see, feel, here? I mean, I think one of the big design guiding principles is to bring the outside in. And so you shouldn't feel like you're in this cavernous venue when you're there. You should feel like you're in this great Florida ballpark, this great St. Petersburg ballpark that represents us as a community. I think another thing, too, is you should feel like this is epic play, right? We want this to be this great family, fan-friendly focused venue that when you're there it's extraordinary play it's epic play not just on the field but you should be able to feel as a fan that you're you can have different experiences as you travel around the ballpark this isn't a place that you're going to come and sit in your seat and watch baseball for nine innings this is a place where you're going to explore every day game day and not. Melanie, as you know, I'm a big baseball fan. I know you're a big baseball fan. There are lots of baseball fans who are going to be wondering what is the inside of this ballpark going to look like? What can you tell us? So, I mean, you're right. It's so great to be a huge baseball fan and being involved in the design of a venue like this. It's so exciting. So the first thing is intimacy, right? This is going to be the most intimate ballpark in Major League Baseball. We actually measure that by a statistic we call uh, nose to field. And so as our fan, how far is your nose from that field? And in this ballpark, it's going to be closer than any other ballpark. Um, it's going to have, you know, three levels and we're going to have amenities for every fan type and every person that wants to come and enjoy Rays baseball or other other events at the venue as well. And finally, I think it's going to be accessible from a circulation standpoint. We're really going to be able to make sure that fans know where they're on the ballpark and know that they can get easily to an amenity just around the corner or even in the outfield. Does that mean we're going to be saying goodbye to the catwalks? It does. Mm. Yes. Um, and so we've been working for a while with our engineers. Um, I think they've analyzed close to 400,000, um, you know, essentially hits and the trajectory of those hits. And we're purposefully de designing um, the, the height of the route to make sure we're accommodating, um, you know, kind of 
today's uh, ball trajectory versus something in the past. Well, it sounds like you're really building a community here more than anything else. What has it been like to work with Heinz on this project? I mean, we've had a relationship with Heinz for over 15 years, and they are best in class as it relates to a development partner. And they understand our vision for this overall site. It's honoring the history of the site and making sure that we're creating opportunity for all. And when you have values aligned like that from day one, you're just setting yourself up for success. And so we couldn't be uh, more pleased to be taking this next step with them and with our community. Well, Melanie Lenz, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations. No, thanks so much for your time as well. Have a great day. That was Ray's Chief Development Officer, Melanie Lenz. We also sat down with Ray's President, Brian Ald. It's a great day. It's a great day for Ray's baseball. It's a great day for St. Petersburg and Pinellas County, really the entire state of Florida. We have um, taken a huge step towards securing the future of this ball club right here on the Tropicana Field site in partnership with the Historic Gas Plant District for generations to come. It's, it's awesome. So what does this announcement mean, and how soon could construction begin? Well, we hope we're breaking ground in 2024. Uh, we have a couple votes ahead of us. We need the Board of County Commissioners and the City Council to agree to what the, uh, the mayor and the county administrator have already said is a pretty darn good deal. Um, once those two votes happen, there's really nothing holding us back from, uh, from breaking ground and uh, constructing the incredible uh, pavilion ballpark that we, uh, that we all deserve here. What will this mean for the community that the Rays are, in fact, here to stay? Yeah, we're here to stay. Um, a lot of us with the team have, have known that to always be the case. We've always wanted to be here. This is our home. Um, I've spent close to 20 years, as has Stuart Sternberg, um, working to build up this fan base to, to turn this team into one that we can all be so proud of. And that's really happened. But there's always been this looming question of where are they going to play after 2027 when the lease expires? That question's been answered, um, hopefully for, for hundreds of years to come, and uh, we can go about building this fan base into the one that a lot of uh, older teams have enjoyed for a long time. We've got 25 years behind us. Now everyone knows there's uh, at least another 30 to come. And tell us more about the Heinz Historic Gas Plant Partnership. What will this mean for Rays fans? Well, it means that you're going to have a ballpark in the middle of a, a bustling um, mixed-use development. You're going to have all sorts of great green space, restaurants, retail opportunities, um, housing opportunities right around the ballpark. Right now, we've got seas of parking, which is nice for when you need to park for games, but uh, creates a less vibrant environment. And I think what you're going to find is going forward, when you, when you come to raise games at this new ballpark, there's going to be so much incredible activity around the stadium that the overall experience is really enhanced. And how does this tie in with St. Petersburg Mayor Ken Welch's goals for the community? This mayor has been a staunch advocate of the Rays for a long time, going back to his days on the county commission. I have to personally thank him for all the work that he's done with us to make our Jackie Robinson Day a real success here at Tropicana Field. Um, and it speaks to his vision for inclusive progress for the city of St. Petersburg. He wanted the raise here, but he wanted to make sure that keeping the raise here meant an economic boon for everyone in St. Pete, and specifically for a lot of the African-American residents who were originally displaced when Tropicana Field was built on the historic gas plant district site. Our plan meets his goals. It provides affordable housing. It's got over $50 million allocated to intentional equity efforts. And we hope that we are going to have our local community participate in a very meaningful way in this entire development project. Tell us about the investment needed for this project to get off the ground. 
Already, a lot of people have invested their time, energy, and effort, and certainly our organization has, has poured millions of dollars into, into getting this plan ready um, for us to execute. But we're talking about, when all is said and done, over $6 billion of development in a 20-year period. We're going to need investments. We're going to need partners. We're going to need folks to help us fund our part of the ballpark, and we're going to need partners to help get all these buildings out of the ground. Exactly who, where, and when that happens. Um, fortunately, we have a world-class partner in Heinz to lead us through it. Um, they do this all the time. They, they know how to get the right investors in the right places, and uh, I'm confident that process will start really soon. Can you share your thoughts on this new chapter as we celebrate our 25th anniversary season? The 25th anniversary season has been such a joy. Uh, we've got statues we're about to unveil. We have three members of our first Hall of Fame class. And we've really taken the, the Devil Rays uniforms on Friday to, to new heights, um, you know, we, not just with Randy Land, but also with an incredible record and excitement. And you see how much our fans enjoy um, that part of the history and remembering all that's happened here. Uh, the history of this franchise is a, a long one now and a rich one. And we've had a lot of playoff berths and we've had a lot of incredible moments. Um, whether it's Longoria's walk-off homer for Game 162 or Aki Iwamura stepping on the bag to send us the World Series in 08 or, or Randy Rosarina and Brett Phillips in Game 4 of the 2020 World Series. Um, these are moments that make fan bases um, really sing, uh, and they get kids into the fold. And what you see right now for the first time is kids being born to people who grew up as Rays fans. That is what you get with 25 years of history. And what we've done is made sure that that generational fan base that's only just gotten started is going to be in place for a long, long time now because we're going to have a new ballpark. It's going to be here in St. Petersburg, and the Tampa Bay Rays are, in fact, here to stay. What are some of the key components of this project beyond the ballpark? I think what I'm most excited about, at least for Rays fans and for citizens of St. Petersburg and, in fact, all of Tampa Bay, is the number of events we're going to bring to this new facility. Um, already we host so many graduations, uh, and, and we have you know the, the WWE coming for their Royal Rumble and a bunch of other really exciting things. And Chance Christmas Light Show brings tens of thousands of people to, uh, to the Tropicana Field. But this facility is going to build, be built to host festivals and concerts and community events, and it's going to be able to do so much more efficiently. Um, and because of those cost advantages, because we're going to build the acoustics in the right way, you're going to see really any event that is appropriate for twenty to 30,000 people, we're going to have a huge competitive advantage to bring here. So we want to program this facility 365 days a year, um, and we want it to be open and available to the public constantly. Uh, all of that is going to allow the surrounding development to really thrive, too. If you've got a restaurant or a shop, um, you're going to have a lot of activity, uh, a lot of foot traffic um, all year round. And that's something um, that we just aren't able to do right now at Tropicana Field. This is your 19th season, and a new ballpark has been a priority since you came on board. So can you share your personal thoughts on this historic moment? I'm just glad we're here. Uh, I remember, you know, standing by Stuart Sternberg's side in 2005 when he said, I can tell you one thing, um, we aren't going to be playing in Tropicana Field in 2027. Well, it, it turns out he was wrong about that. Uh, but we've gotten a whole lot right over all those years, too. Um, we've won a lot of baseball games. We've, we've shown this community how much we care about it. We've, again, built this fan base into something that, Back in 04 and 05, um, Devil Rays fans probably didn't think was possible. 
you know, the third most wins in all of Major League Baseball since 2008 is, is a feat that our baseball operations staff deserves so much credit for. So all of that put together um, leaves a really wonderful legacy. But I, I would be lying if I said it wouldn't have, have rung a little hollow if we hadn't figured out how to secure the future of this team here for our fans. Um, this is where I'm raising my family. This is where all of our employees live. It's where all of our fans are. We need to be here. And now we have a very clear pathway to making that happen. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of the better moments of my career. What's the timeline for the new ballpark? Opening day, 2028. Uh, work nonstop between now and then to make that happen. That's really the best way I could say it. We've got a couple votes we need in the next few months from city council and the board of county commissioners. Um, we'll continue to, to do outreach to the community to make sure they understand all that this entails. Uh, and we'll be incredible stewards of both the franchise and the, and the investment the public's making in us. Um, but pretty much it's going to be nonstop until, uh, until that opening day of 28, and uh, we're all eager to get to work on it. Where will the team play during construction? Well, uh, we're going to play Tropicana Field. Uh, we're playing at Tropicana Field through the 2027 season while we build in the, uh, the neighboring parking lots. And fortunately, between Gensler and Hines and a number of other partners, we've got really, really smart people that are going to figure out how to park everyone, how to handle the logistics, how to make sure that downtown continues to thrive while this um, building is going on. Um, I'm not going to say it's, it's going to be simple, uh, and I'm not going to say that there won't be some mild inconveniences along the way, but we're ready for it, and it's all in the pursuit of a, a phenomenal 2028 uh, opening of and 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 showcase of our of our Phase One development and our our new stadium, um, and it's just something that we should all be really really excited and positive about. And is there anything you'd like to say to the public officials that you've been on through this journey? Yes, uh, thank you for asking that question because we could not have a more supportive board of county commissioners. Uh, city council and mayor um, and county administrator and Barry Burton than we do right now. In some ways, some of this feels like destiny. We've been partners with a lot of these people over so many years through so many ups and downs. Um, And our city council members have had our back. They have been instrumental in connecting us to their constituencies in the community in allowing us to really leverage our assets to improve the city of St. Petersburg on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis. We couldn't be more grateful for their support. Um, and, of course, the county commission uh, does an incredible job driving the, the economics of Pinellas County, looking out for their constituents as well. Uh, many of them have been there for many, many years supporting the raise, holding on to tourist development dollars to support this project. Uh, and their belief in what Major League Baseball can do for the county and for the surrounding communities is Part of what gives us such confidence to double down on Pinellas County and St. Petersburg and know that our future here is going to be very bright. I couldn't be more grateful for them. Um, Public service is a sometimes thankless task, and so it's my great privilege and pleasure to be able to say thank you to all of them right now. Well, Brian, congratulations, and thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you, and to all Rays fans out there, thanks for sticking with us all these years. Couldn't be more grateful for you, and uh, are just excited to uh, give us all the ballpark we deserve. That was Ray's president, Brian Ald. Finally, we got together with the senior managing director of Heinz, Michael Harrison. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a day that's been 15 years in the making. I can remember uh, meeting Matt Silverman in January of 2008. Uh, having dinner, introduced him to Jeff Heinz in Houston. We had an opportunity to show him uh, another uh, stadium development that Heinz was involved in the Toyota Center for the Houston Rockets. 
had dinner, took in a game, and came back to St. Pete for meetings with the Rays team here, and that really launched our first effort on that first RFP back in 2007, 2008. So to answer your question, it's been a long time coming. But it feels good. Today is a really great day, isn't it? It is. It is. I think Matt said this uh, during the press conference. There's been so much growth in St. Pete since that first RFP that, that we jointly responded to with the Rays. The city really has grown up around this site. And we get the benefit of that. We have the opportunity to do something now, both with the ballpark as well as the surrounding development that'll that'll um, surround the ballpark and replace Tropicana Field once the new ballpark opens and really turn this into a place that is a destination that people want to come to and stay at, not just drive your car to the ball game, park in the parking lot, and reverse that after the game. We want people to come here. We want people to live here. We want people to stay after a game for dinner with their family or for uh, an, you know, a, a, an event at one of the entertainment venues. So it, it's truly exciting, and, and we really feel privileged to be partnered with the Rays, uh, Stu and Matt and Brian and Melanie Lenz. We go back a long way, and the faith and confidence that the Rays have shown in Heinz as a partner is really something that uh, we take great pride in. What makes this project unique? Because we know it's a lot more than just a ballpark. Yeah, I think it, what what it, what this is is what every other professional sports team fantasizes about. Yeah, they they very seldom have an opportunity to create a new ballpark or a new arena or a new stadium, let alone to have the idea of a sixty-acre blank canvas that surrounds the new new venue. So, for us. You know, we get to map this out in a way that not only turns this into the best ballpark in Major League Baseball, but it it, it surrounds it with places for people to, to live, work, and play. And the ability with 14 acres of green space and open open spaces, we can turn this into something that's really a destination in unto itself in addition to the ballpark. And how important is it for local government, corporations, developers – to be able to work together and, and invest together? Well, I, I, I think we're very fortunate that at this moment in time, both with the county commission, with Mayor Welsh's leadership, um, and the, you know, the, the city council, uh, everybody um, was rowing in the same direction. And that doesn't always happen. Um, and I think in this case, there's an opportunity because St. Pete has, has really – uh, grown tremendously over the last 10 to 15 years, um, there's a vision now. You know, it's how do we continue this growth in a responsible way? And I think that what Mayor Welch did with the RFP and his early collaboration with the county commission allowed for them to say, how do we get behind this new ballpark in a way that it facilitates a deal with the Rays and it allows for the development of the area around the ballpark? And that's really where. Hines was fortunate to be invited by the Rays to be their partner and to, and to do this in a cohesive, master-planned, um, mixed-use mixed um, village. This project is a huge shift from the current site of Tropicana Field, surrounded by parking lots to a destination spot. How do you think that will change the landscape of St. Petersburg? Our job isn't just to do a standalone you know, 7 million square foot development. Our job is to do that in a way 
that it blends into the edges that surround the site today. And the good news is that over the last 10 years, those edges have really evolved to the point where it's our job to stitch into them seamlessly. Can you describe some of the community or arts elements that will be included? Yeah, and, and really uh, the, the, the intentional equity program uh, that we what we proposed that includes $50 million uh, in total, you know, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to help partially fund the new Woodson Museum. And we've provided a site for that within the overall master plan. So arts are a, a fundamental, uh, you know, uh, per, uh, part of our plan. You know, we're looking at incubator space for, for local artists <clears throat> that will be mixed into the plan as it's developed over time. And really, you know, the, the, you know, a big, big part of our, our intentional equity program is community outreach. And how do we how do we help train people for the jobs that are going to be created on the site, both construction jobs as well as permanent jobs? And, you know, we want to create mentorship programs. We want to be able to create um, apprentice, uh, apprenticeships uh, on the site. And so I think that all of that um, local intervention will really help um, – the project be more successful. And in that vein, what kind of jobs will be available with a project of this size? Oh, it's it's the it's endless. I mean, it's you know ob- the obvious uh, you know first uh, part of the answer to the question is it's going to create construction jobs of all kind. And and really, we need to invest early because there's so much construction that's going to be happening with a new ballpark that's you know going to be more than a billion dollars worth of construction. The first phase of the development around the ballpark will be another billion dollars worth of construction. And so we need to start helping train people today so that we're creating our own workforce. But beyond that, uh, we, we hope to attract uh, corporate users to the site. We're, we're, we, want, we want someone to move their headquarters here. Florida has been a huge beneficiary of an in-migration of population and corporate relocations over the last five years, even dating back pre- prior to COVID, we want to we want to build on that. And today, you know, companies and and company leaders are trying to figure out how do we get our employees to come back to the office. And if you're just a building on a street, it's hard to attract your employees to come back. If you put a, a corporate headquarters or a regional headquarters, or if you're leasing office space within our project you're really moving them into a placemaking destination. And so they'll have restaurants to go to at lunchtime. They'll have bars that they can go to after work. There's an event concert or a ball game at, at, the, at the new ballpark. So you, you, you're creating an environment where people want to come to work. So, you know, you're, the full range of office jobs. The whole ground plane of this project is going to be tied together by retail and food and beverage. So retailers, both both local and national, but especially local. We want local restaurateurs to be here. We want people to be able to have, you know, the full range of jobs. And so retail jobs, uh, you know, uh, food and beverage jobs, office jobs, construction jobs. You know, this, you know, the new ballpark, you know, you think about all the people that work for the Rays today that are going to move over to that to that location. So I don't I can't think of a job type that it won't create. And share how this will be a destination, even if you're a casual baseball fan. Well, I think in this day and age, people want um, to spend their free time in a way that they feel like they're getting value. And I think the Rays have really done a phenomenal job, uh, you know, over their history 
of creating a, a, a fan experience that's you know s- superior to anything in Major League Baseball, bar none. Um, what what we have an opportunity to do is really build on that. And when you talk about the placemaking that we're going to do, you know, we think of the the apartment buildings and the hotels and the office buildings. Uh, we think of those as the you know the hardware. You know, those are the bricks and mortar that you know we're, we're going to build on this new street grid that we're going to reintroduce after after thirty years. But but what happens between the buildings? We think of that as the software. We think of the programming that you can do, not just on a game night when the Rays are here, but when they're out of town. You know, is it yoga on the green? Is it, you know, is it a, a family barbecue night with, with live entertainment and live music? Um, really, we've, we Heinz have focused on these placemaking destinations all across the country. And it's not about the buildings. It's about creating places between the buildings that people want to come to because they want to they want to spend their time and their money in a place where they can really enjoy it. That was the senior managing director of Heinz, Michael Harrison, whose time we certainly appreciate, as well as that of Ray's president, Brian Ald, and Ray's chief development officer, Melanie Lenz. And we'll be right back with more after this on the Ray's Baseball Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we want to thank all of our guests on the show today, including Ray's third baseman Curtis Mead for sharing his journey from Australia to Tampa Bay with us. Charleston Rivers... Charleston River Dogs MVP Xavier Isaac and Bowling Green Hot Rods MVP Carson Williams, as well as Rays President Brian Ald, Rays Chief Development Officer Melanie Lenz, and Senior Managing Director of Hines Michael Harrison for their insight into the historic gas plant district development in St. Petersburg. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Rays Radio. Special thanks to Derek DeBose back in our network studios, plus, ad- plus additional help from Andy Freed, Neil Solons, Chris Miller, Becca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We are getting ready for the Rays and Jays game two of three. We'll see you next week. The Rays pregame show is next. Enjoy the game, everyone. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.